Standardized Patients Podcast. I am your host and general night owl, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. So what is a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a... A standardized patient is a powerful practitioner of applied theater who recreates medical scenarios engaging with student doctors, nurses, and professionals right across the healthcare spectrum so that they can experience how an encounter might play out with their future real-life patients. And that way they can practice what they've been learning, try out things, even make mistakes in a safe, controlled environment without affecting real patients. Awesome. Thank you so much for that very comprehensive yet succinct definition. I appreciate that. That is our guest, Pat. Pat Bevin, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. So Pat is a writer, an educator, and an actor living in Toronto, Canada. After teaching with the school board for 16 years, she left because there were so many other paths she wanted to explore. She has worked in television, film, and radio, and has acted on stage in regional and dinner theaters across the country. Discovering SP work 18 years ago has allowed her to blend her teaching and acting background. Pat loves the variety of the work and enjoys the role she plays as a medical physiotherapy, psychiatry, <laughs> pharmacy, and social work patient or client. Sharing those experiences in her third book named Fake Patient. It has been a joy. Did I say that right? Psych- psychiatry or psychiatry? You said everything right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you have a quite an extensive background in everything, which is super cool. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about all of these things for a really long time, in my opinion. However, we are going to focus a little bit more on SP work today, particularly because you wrote a book on standardized patient work, which is super cool. And I am very excited to read it. So let's actually start right there. Tell us a little bit about your book and what brought you to write it. Well, the idea of writing Fake Patient had been roiling around in my brain for a while. I often write about things that I do. My first book was about the 26 and a half years of Agatha Christie's The Mouse Trap at Toronto Truck Theatre, because I played for the last two years in that show. And I wrote a book about that called Caught in the Trap. And then I wrote a book called Still Dancing, in which 13 lifelong dancers shared their journeys in dance. And then the idea of writing about my experiences as a standardized patient kept coming back to me and I kept pushing it away until finally I couldn't anymore. So I just decided to sit down and write what I wanted to write. That's amazing. So the idea was in your presence and your general vicinity and you finally decided to take it and run with it. That's right. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad that you did write about it because it's something that, as you can tell, we are very passionate about here at this podcast to hear that there are other people that are trying to spread the word about standardized patient work and, and all of that world is really, really cool and just broadening the audience. So I have to say real quick, your first book about the mousetrap, I love that show. 
I saw it in the West End in London many years ago, maybe 2006. And I remember I was at the very top of the theater, like last row, balcony. All of the actors on stage looked like little mice just running around because it was that, but it was a great show. And Agatha Christie is one of my favorite authors. And then there are none is my favorite book of all time. So yeah, the London production has just hit its 70th year. Wow. Unbelievably. So our production ran for 26 and a half years and it is still the longest running non-musical production in North America. Oh, that is so, super cool. Yeah. So I and felt you, very lucky to be in it for the last two years. Yeah. That's congratulations yeah. on that. That's really neat. Now back to fake patient. Tell us just a general sense of, we know why you got into writing it. So what is it about a little bit? It is all about SP work. It's about, I wanted to sort of show the scope of the work that we do. As you know, a lot of people don't know anything about this job. So I wanted to give people an idea of what it is we do. And it's so interesting because somebody just bought three copies of the book. She said she was, she's an SP. She said she was buying one for herself. She was sending one to her mother in Vancouver and giving one to her best friend so she wouldn't have to keep explaining <laughs> what she does all the time and trying to make them understand what she does as an SP. <laughs> I love that. That's the best way to do it. Just like read this. <laughs> and another reason I wrote the book is everybody deals with doctors. And I thought it would be interesting for people to have some idea of how doctors are trained because that impacts how they think. And whether we deal with doctors for our own health, maybe the health of a senior family member or a child, I think it's valuable to have some idea of, of what they think. So that's in the book there too. And the third reason I wrote the book was sort of as a celebration of what we do. Not that the people who I work with need any validation that what we do is, is an important job and a real job, but I figured there are books about actors, books about doctors, about painters, about writers, and I thought it would be kind of cool to have a book where we saw ourselves represented just as a celebration of what we do. That's amazing, a celebration. And I think we we do deserve extra validation, but you're right. I think most SPs, if not all, definitely already have some sense of like, this is really cool. We know we're helping in some way, shape or form, but like, it's, it's nice to see yourself represented. I think most people can certainly agree with that. Somebody just told me they think SPs are the unsung heroes of medical education. I like that. I like I kind that. Of, I agree with it, to be honest. I'm sure there are some other unsung heroes too, but SPs are definitely up there. <laughs> so, you have been in standardized patient work for 18 years, is that correct? Almost 20 years now, yes. Almost 20, wow. How did you find out about it? I think like a lot of other people, I just found out from somebody who was doing it. I was doing a show and the show closed and the person who was directing the show was involved in SP work. And when the show closed, he said, you know, I do this work. Maybe you'd be interested in it. I had never heard of SP work before, but I looked into it and that was it. Wow. So what was your first day like on the job? Do you still remember? 
it was definitely an exam situation rather than an education because I don't know how it works in the States, but in Canada, usually people start with exam situations. I think that's curious that you all start with exam situations because that's kind of high stakes. I guess I'm wondering why. Do you feel like that was a good way to start out your SP career or do you wish it had been more of an educational, foundational I think the reason we start out with exam situations is that they don't involve feedback and feedback is a whole other skill. Right. And so when you just start out, getting your feet wet in the feedback situation is, you know, that's that's a whole thing. You're right. Absolutely. I didn't think about that. And I guess it kind of shows off if you're starting with an exam situation, how well you can remember the details, fill out the checklist and also portray that particular case. So you're kind of getting those very specific, important parts that mm-hmm. don't involve the feedback. Over time, have you worked at multiple schools or is there one school in particular you work at? I do a lot of work out of the university here that has the standardized patient program, but there are also various healthcare institutions in chiropractic and physiotherapy and things like that that have programs. So I work in all of those. Do you find that the university is a little bit different than some of the other places you work? Uh, Not really. No, we really follow the same way of portraying things and the same feedback methods. That's something that's been really interesting since uh, the book has come out. I've gotten to know about how standardized patient programs work in all over. And it's very different. The book's gone to Oslo. It's gone to Dublin. It's gone to Leicester, England. It's gone to many places in the States. And I've gotten to learn about the differences in how standardized patient work is done. Yeah. Now, can you share a little bit about that? Like what have been the most notable differences that you've discovered? From what I understand, in America, in the States, uh, feedback is given in quite a different way. When we give feedback, we are never prescriptive or didactic or anything. We give it in the format, you know, when you said or did this, I felt this, but we don't ever offer, you know, it would have been better if you had done this, or Uh what do you think would happen if you had played it this way? And I think in the States, you, you do more of that, don't you? Yes, at least from my experience. Now, it might be different for other areas. Typically, yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is that we do a little bit more of suggestions. So if we're giving a constructive piece of criticism, then we follow up with perhaps if you had done it this way or done this thing instead, I would have felt, you know, more reassured. Whereas it it sounds like you all will give constructive criticism, but not a suggestion. No, we never do that. And because uh, speaking to that, we feel it's a hypothetical situation, right? So what we can do, and sometimes um, learners ask, like, would it have been better if I had done this or if I had brought up this sooner? And what I would say is, well, I can't speak to that because it didn't happen. And 
that would be hypothetical. But what we can do is if we have time and if the preceptor or the facilitator is with it and you're okay with it, we could go back in and you could try it a different way. Oh, yeah, I see that. That's really interesting. Does that ever, if there's not time to redo it, do they get frustrated about that aspect? No, and sometimes they don't want to. Sometimes learners have had enough getting through the scenario and they say, oh, it's okay. But uh, it it is very interesting to go back in and, and give them a second stab at it and they can try something else and see how that might work. It really sounds like you all are very much like fact-based, like this happened, this is what we're discussing. If it didn't happen, we're not going to go there. We can make, we can see what happens if we go back and do it again, but we're not going to discuss the hypotheticals of what if. That's right. Yeah, that's super interesting. Now you've obviously, you've released your book, you've been doing SP work for a while. This could be about your book or just general SP work. What would you say is one of the most funny or interesting things you've encountered in your life as an SP or while you've been writing the book? It was a research study to find out how prepared dentists were to deal with medical emergencies that might happen during the course of a, a regular dental visit. So they had made me a cuff to go under my sleeve and it was made of foam and mylar and things that needles couldn't go through because the dentist had to deal with somebody going into anaphylactic shock during the course of a regular dental visit. And so, and they demonstrated to me, you know, how protected my arm would be with all this stuff. And they said, see, nothing can go through, nothing can go through. And I did four or five of them. And, you know, the dentist, when I go into anaphylactic shock, the dentist quickly has to get his little epinephrine out of his case and take off the blue cap and jab it into my arm. Mm. So I never felt anything when the jab came until one time, I think it was like the fifth scenario, I felt a prick. And I like, oh, so after it was over, I went to the person who was in charge and I said, "Uh, by the way, you know, I I think something went through. And she's like, no, no, nothing can go through that. That's how we've constructed this cuff. Nothing can go through. So like, okay, I just thought I'd let you know. Then I went to get changed and I took off my shirt and the cuff. And sure enough, there was some blood and a little hole in my arm. Oh, no. So I went back to her and I said, well, actually, there's a little hole in my arm and some blood. So (laughs) for future reference, things can get through. And she said, don't worry about it. It's expired epinephrine anyway. (laughs) Oh, dear. And, you know, during the course of the afternoon, like after this had happened, I was feeling kind of lightheaded, but I put it down to the acting work that I was doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I was simulating being in anaphylactic shock, having trouble breathing, chest pains. I was so I thought, oh, that's why I'm a little lightheaded. I'm getting too into this. But it wasn't that. It was the epinephrine. 
the SP program, when they heard about that, the SP program took that more seriously. And they actually made a policy decision after that. And they decided no more real sharps would be used, regardless of what kind of cuff or whatever was constructed. Yeah, that's wild. Oh, my goodness. And when you went home that night, were you okay? Yeah, I was okay. It's just during the afternoon, I was a little bit lightheaded, but I thought it was just because of the acting I was doing. That's really scary. And uh, yeah, word to the, any programs out there, hopefully they're not having people get poked by things. That's super scary. Sorry that happened to you, but I'm glad you're okay. And glad that it implemented some changes after that fact. Yes. Yikes. Um, I know with some of the schools I work at, if we if if we're working with our students, med students, and they're using a sharp, you know, they break one of those wooden things to do the, the right. sharp test. We always make sure that they put the sharp in the sharps container. I don't know if you all deal with that at all. And if they don't, it's like, nope, mm-mm, that you're gonna get docked for that because if the trash person comes by and they grab the trash from the encounter room and a sharp hits them and they're not even yeah. if they're wearing gloves. They have to report it. It could be something really dangerous. They don't know. So we are, yeah, super serious about sharps, but yikes. <laughs> you don't forget that, do you? <laughs> wow, we. Wow. I'm I'm just glad you're okay. <laughs> I'd be really curious, uh, particularly, have you done any book readings or book signings with fake yes. patients yet? I've been um, doing an author visits at several book clubs, which has been really fun. And what has been the most rewarding thing you've taken away from now releasing this book out into the wild to people who don't know anything about it or don't know as much, perhaps, as you do from all of your work through the years? Well, I really liked what I heard from somebody, actually, who does standardized patient work, and she's done it for about 10 years. But she said, I never realized the scope of what is available to do because she does generally exams and a little bit of the education, but she doesn't get to work in a lot of areas or do high affect roles or uh, crossing boundary roles or things like that, working with internationally educated nurses and doctors or any of those things. So that's been really really cool to let people know, even people in the business know, you know, the scope of of what we do. Yeah, that's really cool. Also have heard from a lot of people after they've read the book, it's like, oh, that sounds so interesting. I think I'd like to do that. And people have applied. And my daughter said to me, "Uh, mom, by writing this book, you're just probably putting yourself out of work because there's (laughs) going to be all these new people. (laughs) becoming SPs and roles are going to get thinner. (laughs) Uh, I guess there's something to that, but you know what? You're still doing a good thing. Hopefully as, as if, if you get out of work, at least your book will sell. So maybe, you know, it's a, it's a breaks even. I do have a friend who has been an SP for a long time before me, even, you know, on um, social media, sometimes people, actors will be like, well, what's another, does anyone have any like acting day jobs or you know, good day jobs for, for independent contractors. And a lot of SPs are like, SP work is great. And here we can help you out. And my friend is always like, I don't usually tell people about that because I don't want to lose my work. <laughs> and I'm like, I kind of see that too. Um, yeah. Well, if you got a good thing going, sometimes uh, you kind of want to keep it 
keep your job. Well, um, there's a whole um, chapter in my book called So Is It Acting? Because a lot of people, you know, aren't sure, like, do you have to be an actor to be an SP? And it is my fervent belief that it definitely is acting. And so I wanted to devote some time in the book to to that question. So what would you say then just in your experience, not just with the book, but, you know, being an SP for this long, what has been the most meaningful or rewarding thing that you've experienced with either med students or other SPs? Well, my favorite roles to do are when you work in group scenarios. Yeah. Because, you know, you have other actors to play off and that's just great. And I I work in a couple of group scenarios that I'm just crazy about. One is a code blue scenario. There are four doctors who rush in and two nurses and the real chaplain from the hospital is there and I'm losing my daughter who's... And we go through the whole code blue thing while they're trying to resuscitate her with a family member in the room. That's Mm -hmm. me. And that is one of the most powerful things I do. And I'm always so, so glad that these people get to practice those kind of conversations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before they have to do it with real with real patients. Yeah, like just breaking the bad news and also dealing with a a crisis. So these are, for that particular scenario, how many of them are students versus how many are actors or SPs in that room? Just the nurse and I are SPs. It's a real nurse, but she she works as an SP. And then the rest are real. And she calls calls the code blue and the team rushes in. And they have to deal with me and my daughter, who is a sim mannequin. Mm -hmm. And it's... It's always very, and I, they lose her in the end, but it's very, it's very emotional for everybody. And at the end, everyone's just, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I haven't done one like that, but I will say your story kind of reminds me of Cliff McMullen we had on our season one. And he has a very funny story about that type of a scenario where it was, I think, a priest and a nun and. Uh, him and another actor and a mannequin, but I think a similar type of scenario, but yours sounds even more urgent, perhaps, of like the the code blue. So fascinating. Wow. It just goes to show, you know, there's so many different types of cases out there and so many scenarios that you never know what you might get if you become a standardized patient. uh, (laughs) That's right. Or even just work at a different school or in a different area. So that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Another one that I, I love and I do it Uh, with the School for Social Work, and I think we're going to see more scenarios like this. It's about um, a transgender family, and my husband is now a woman, and it's a group therapy session with me, my husband, who I haven't seen in a year since he's transitioned, and our two adult children, and it's a group therapy session, and that's really... uh, I haven't experienced that one either, but that's really cool. Very, very important. And how do you find that one is really helpful for the students? It is. And when they come in, there's a class of about 40 sitting in a semicircle. And then one person's in the hot seat and the family comes in for their appointment. And we sit there and 
It goes for about 40 minutes. They don't know what's coming. They don't know what they're going to deal with uh, until they're into the session. So it's really, it's really interesting to watch them navigate that. Oh, I bet. Wow. Very cool. Hopefully more will start to do that kind of thing. And yeah, the students just never know, right? What's what's coming their way. (laughs) Sometimes I feel bad because if there's a very nervous learner in the room and I know four minutes into this encounter, I'm going to have a massive heart attack and they're already nervous and they're like, oh no, I don't want to do this to this poor person. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so true. Like you, they know something's coming, but they're not sure what. You definitely know what's happening and what's coming. And yeah, that is the worst where you just, you you want to take care of them, right? You want them to be okay, but you still have to do your job as the standardized patient. So yeah, <laughs> I, I feel that really hard. I really do. Hearing your stories, I'm so excited about your book. I think this is, at least as far as I'm aware, the first book that's been written about standardized patients, if I'm not mistaken. I was recently informed that there's a textbook. Yeah. Okay. So ding, ding, ding. (laughs) That's very exciting for people. And where can people find the book if they wanted to uh, get a hold of it and purchase it? It's only available from my website. It's www.patbevan.com. We will put that in the show notes as well. Do you expect that you might write more books in the future? Mm -hmm. I'm working on another one, which is kind of a secret project at the moment because it's a collab. It's a collaboration. So I can't really talk about that. I got you. I got you. There's always something to write about. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. When an idea comes, you take it, you run with it. So we'll keep our eyes out to see. And maybe you can let us know when you are able to talk about it. And where else can we find you besides at your website? People follow me on Instagram. I'm at It's Pat Bevan. It's Pat Bevan. Awesome. We will also link to that in the show notes. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Pat, for being our guest on season two. We really appreciate you zooming in here with us. And I'm so excited about your book and going to just learn more about all of the different programs and up in Toronto, what you've been experiencing. And hopefully more people can learn about these different types of cases you were talking about that I know I haven't tried out yet. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time and energy. Oh, I loved being here, Katie. I like your podcast so much. I always listen to it. I love your intro music and I, I always listen to your podcast. I love it. That's really sweet of you. Thank you so much. So speaking of that, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. And thanks to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, which Pat just mentioned, Mr. Garita. Uh, You can find their music at Artlist. And thank you, as always, to Catherine Bublek for the -the behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. That is our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work. Thank you.